Um, I'm going to read the psalm and then we'll get into the message. So if you found that, please stand if you're able to stand for the reading of the Word of God. And it is good to see you tonight. Sure good to see Janet with us tonight. And uh, pray for her as she continues to do her uh, torture treatments that she's going through. And uh, also for others who are kind of recovering from uh, procedures and the like. Psalm 15 is a psalm of David, and we'll emphasize that as we get into the message. And here's the psalm. There are two questions in the first verse, and then the final uh, four verses are really an answer to the questions. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Those are the questions. The answer is, He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. So what does that mean? We're going to talk about this in verse 1. Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who, who can live, basically, who can live where God is? Who can abide in his tabernacle? And let's think about that together tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd bless tonight as we get into your word together. Help us to be attentive, not only to the words themselves, but Lord, to how they might apply to our lives, how that might give us direction for our life. We pray for that. We want to draw close to you. We thank you for our theme this year as a church, abiding. And Father, we want to abide close to you. We want to have close fellowship with you. And Father, we want to learn what it means to have an abiding relationship that you can produce fruit through us, as we heard this morning. So we pray for that, and we pray that tonight would... Just help shed light even more on that subject. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to begin tonight by just thinking about this inquiry. Uh, David is requesting this of God. Look in verse 1. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? So it's abiding. It's about abiding. It's about dwelling. Dwelling near the Lord. Um, this, uh, one, this particular banner over here, I want to read from Psalm 91, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. All these verses have to do with us having a close, intimate relationship with the Lord. I, this, this is Psalm 91.1, the very bottom of this banner, but the Psalm just before that, Psalm 90 says, think about these words. This, this is a prayer of Moses. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. This is not a geographic place. Thou hast been our dwelling place. This is a spiritual place. It's a place of closeness to God. Thou hast been our dwelling 
place. And so to dwell with someone is to live with them. And this is, this is really what this message is about. It's what this psalm's about. It's what much of the Bible is about. And that is the, our relationship to God, our fellowship with God, and particularly His presence with us. You know, when you think about what heaven's going to be like, we think about a lot of things. You know, we think about seeing loved ones who've gone before us. We think about streets of gold. We think about uh, walls of jasper. But, but you know what heaven is going to be like about more than any other thing? It's going to be about being in the presence of the Lord. It's going to be about being where the Lord is. I was just looking uh, a few moments ago over there in Revelation chapter 4 when all the saints are just bowing before God and casting their th- uh, uh, crowns before God and the focus is not on you know, anything about us or what we've done. It's not, about, it's not about any of that stuff. It's about the Lord, being with the Lord. And so that's what heaven's going to be about. But in this life, in this earth, as Pastor Weiss has been preaching and preached this morning, he wants us to abide in him here, have a close fellowship with him here. And, you know, it's, it's kind of strange to think that we're going to go through this life. We could go through this life as believers who are carnally minded and, and really not really concerned about our fellowship with God, and all of a sudden in heaven, we're going to just be wonder, just in amazement at that. I think really we ought to understand this is what life is about. It's about abiding in Him in this life. It's about the presence of God. And so let's think about this inquiry, excuse me, inquiry in verse 1. Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy place? And, and it just make this very practical. Is this really genuine? Is this a legitimate question? Sometimes we read scriptures, I think, as though they're hyperbole, which means basically it's something that we read, but we don't really take it literally. But is this really a literal request? Is it really a literal inquiry? Who can really live close to God? And I submit to you tonight that it is. And just kind of wading into this gradually... For some people, this may seem like a contradiction. Like, if God is everywhere, and He is, by the way, you can't go anywhere that God is not. Wherever He is, wherever we are, He's already there. So how can we really, how can we really live? Why do we be concerned about living close in His presence if He is everywhere? And the reality is that God has promised a special measure of His presence to certain places and certain people. I think the Bible bring this out. I mean, God is everywhere, but He chooses to make Himself known, make Himself real in various situations. Let's think about the Old Testament in the beginning. God's presence, God's presence, even His visible presence, was manifest in numerous ways in numerous places in the Old Testament. Sometimes He was seen His presence was manifested as a pillar of fire or as a cloud. God's God's glory, God's presence was so strong at the building of the temple or the building of the tabernacle, both. His glory so filled those places that they couldn't even minister because God was so real there. Now, was God everywhere at that time? Absolutely. 
But he was in those places in a very special way. Are you with me? He, it, was a, it was obvious that he was doing something special. And uh, hold your place here in Psalm 15 because we'll come back periodically to this. But go to the book of Exodus. I just had this thought a little bit ago in Exodus chapter 33. And this is after... Um, you know, Aaron built a calf and God was displeased because God had, Moses had been up on a mountain with God and the people of Israel built this golden calf. They were worshiping this calf and Moses was interceding uh, for the people. And, but just a few things about Moses' discussion, interaction with God. Exodus 33 and verse 14. The Lord says to Moses... And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. The God who's everywhere at the same time said, I will go with thee and give thee rest. And Moses said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not hence. We don't want to go without you. And then verse 16, he continues, Moses does, For wherein... This is so important to understand. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? How will, how will it be known that we have, we have this relationship with you, God? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. What is it that separated God's people, Israel, from all the people on the earth. It wasn't the ta just the tabernacle. It wasn't just their rituals. It wasn't just their rules and ordinances. It was the fact that God was with them. God wants us to dwell with him in a very real way. And, and back to Psalms, we're in Psalm 15, but David particularly David had a passion about this subject. And I'm going to look at a couple other psalms, if you would, with me. Psalm 24, for instance. Psalm 24, verse 3. A psalm of David. Who shall ascend, in verse 3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who can, who can access God and be where God is? Verse 4 answers the question. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. This was a passion. Go to Psalm 63. This was, this was one of the things, one of the primary things that set David apart from Saul as David being the second king of Israel was he had this heart for God, a man after God's own heart. In Psalm 63, 1, a psalm of David. He writes, O God, who... O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Don't you think David understood that God is omnipresent, that God is already everywhere? Why would he have this heart? Because he wanted to be close to God. He wanted this close relationship. Look what he said in verse 8 of that psalm. My soul followeth hard after thee. I'm pursuing God. I want to be close to God. Well, you say, well, that's all Old Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament. And we're going to 
come back to Psalm 15, but let's just look at a few familiar verses. And I ask you to turn with me, even though they're familiar, because I just really want us to see them on the pages of our Bible. First of all, 1 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and a verse that I think is so important that you, we, we have it in our mind, maybe noted it on our pages of our Bible, but Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now the house of, is that again, is that just hyperbole? The house of God, is that just a rhetorical question? Is that just a, a phrase, just so much religious jargon? Or is the church really where God lives? And the answer is, it is the house of God. It's God's dwelling place. When the church assembles, God says, that's where I'm going to be. In Matthew 18, and Jesus is clearly teaching about the church in Matthew 18, and you're very familiar with that. The passage deals with if people, you know, if someone trespasses against you, how to deal with that. And if you take a couple of people and try to get it worked out, and you can't, you take it to the church. And then he said this, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them, in the churches. His presence is in the churches. Now, this is, this is not... Um, graduate level stuff this is really elementary but it's critical that people get it if you if anybody understood that they would never minimize or marginalize the reality the purpose of the Lord's churches because he said I will be there and the presence of God is committed to his churches in Ephesians chapter 2 um, we find a, a letter to a church and by the way it's not incidental that almost all the epistles are letters to churches. Why? Because he communicates to his churches. That's what it says in Revelation. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Aren't you glad that you're in a church? Amen. A true church where he's the head. Ephesians chapter 2, he says this in verse 22. In whom ye, talking to the church, a local congregation in Ephesus, in whom ye also are built together, notice this language, for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Where God's presence is, a habitation. God dwells there. Go to one other place in uh, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And this was mentioned this morning, but I want to just kind of touch on it again. Revelation chapter 1. And you know... We emphasize these things, we preach these things because we want people to understand them and know them. These are, this is a, so fundamental, so foundational to what we're about really is understanding how God works through his churches. But Revelation chapter 1, we see this revelation that Jesus made himself known to John, the beloved on the Isle of Patmos in verse 12, John says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. John saw this, this vision. These, and what were these candlesticks? They were churches. See, how do you know that? Well, look in verse 
20 of chapter 1. The last part of verse 20, it says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So this is so clear, this is so vivid, that John saw these lamps, these lights, and they, weren't, they were a picture of churches. They represented churches, and Jesus was in the midst of those churches. His presence. Is he everywhere? Yes. You can't go a place, you can't go so far out into the, into the universe that, you can't, that he's not there, he's already there. You can't go far, so far in the earth that he's not there, he's already there. He's everywhere at the same time, but he chooses to, in a special way, make himself known in particular places and times, and he does that to his churches. It's important. And in chapter 2 and verse 1, Pastor Wise talked about this today, a message to the church at Ephesus that he was such a powerful church, such a spiritual church, such an um, obedient church, except in verse 4, he said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And he said to this church in verse 5, if you don't repent, I will remove thy candlestick. I'm going to remove the candlestick. You know what makes a church a church? That Jesus is there. It's not the building, it's not, the, it's not even the programs, and I think we ought to have programs to help us carry out the Lord's work, but what makes a church a church is the presence of the Lord. He's the head, the presence of the head. So this matter of God's presence was important to David, it was important to Moses, and it ought to be important to us. That's what, to me, a part of this theme is about, abiding in a close relationship with Him, fellowship with Him. We're not, I'm not talking about an emotional feeling. I'm not talking about goosebumps. I'm talking about the promise of His presence with us. It's a spiritual reality. And these questions, and I'm going to go back to, to Psalm 15, these questions express this important spiritual reality. It's a wor these are worthy questions. Who shall abide in His tabernacle? Who shall dwell in his holy hill? Who can be near God? This was David's question. So we see that question in verse 1. Two questions. The question is about who. Who can be in a close relationship, fellowship with him? We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about fellowship. And then the rest of Psalm 15, and we'll just kind of lightly hit on it here are the conditions, answers to the question. If I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, tell me in your own words, what do you think would be the condition, the requirement, the expectation, if you're going to have a close, intimate, personal, vibrant fellowship with God, what would be required? Are there any requirements? Well, David said, here's some things worth mentioning. There are things that can hinder our fellowship with God. And I think it's important to emphasize this because there, there's a tendency, what you may not see it, and, and, but I think it's real. There's a tendency in our day to sort of minimize, treat casually this matter about the presence of God. You know, like 
that God's with me, it doesn't really matter. You know, I may use foul language, I may listen to rock music, I'm, but it doesn't really matter because I'm saved and I'm in grace and I'm washed. And it doesn't, but I'm telling you, that's a bunch of baloney. It's a bunch of baloney. It does matter. It doesn't mean you can't be saved and do things. I mean, it's just you can't walk with God and not fulfill ex- the expectations that God has for us. So, this is what we want to look at briefly. Notice what he says in verse 2. He that walketh uprightly. There's really kind of a three words. And I'm... Um, the word walketh, he that walketh uprightly, he that worketh righteousness, his walk is right, his work is right, and his words are right. Speaketh the truth in his heart. So there are things, he, David said, if you're going to be close to God, you've got to be conscious of this. You have to be considerate of this. You have to have a walk that's upright. That means you're, you're living right. You have a, a lifestyle that's pleasing to God, and your works are righteous, and your words. Notice what he said about your words. He speaketh the truth in his heart. And verse 3 says... He backbiteth not with his tongue. If a person, if I'm going to have a, if I'm not going to have a, if I'm not going to judge my words and my works and my walk and try to make sure I'm keeping my, keeping my words right and keeping my walk right and my attitude right, if I'm not going to do that, I cannot have this close fellowship with God. And you can't either. You can't do it. I'm not saying you can't be a member of the church. I'm not saying you can't be saved. But I'm saying you're not going to have the relationship with God that you ought to have unless we're willing to take these things seriously. You know, I want to see revival. I want to see revival in my own heart. I want to see revival in our church. I want to see revival in this community. But you don't... Revival does not come because people out there get their hearts right. And revival doesn't even come because we, we determine that we're going to have a more aggressive stance as far as doing the right things. And we ought to, what's, what's really going to bring revival is a close relationship with God that spills out of our life into others. And you know what? Every one of us need to have that. Every one of us can have that. But you see, what kind of things hinder that? He said backbiting in verse 3. He did backbiteth. And he says, he that doeth e- nor taketh a, uh, doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, the way we talk about people, the way we treat others, those, all those things, they don't just affect your relationship with people, they reflect your relationship with God. These things have to be right. Our attitude toward people. Look in verse 4, he says, in whose eyes a vile person, that's a, a person who's wicked or evil, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. And the word contemned means to be disdained. That means we don't, we don't look at those who are living wickedly with a, with a positive attitude. Yes, we love sinners. Yes, we want to reach people with the gospel. But we're not dismissive about the fact that people live in sin. But then he also says this. He honoreth them that fear the Lord. You know how we, who we ought to honor? You know how we ought to teach our children? We ought to honor people who fear the Lord. Those are the people that we ought to honor. And then he says in verse 4, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. I love that verse. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. You know what that means? That means he keeps his word. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. He keeps, you know what, we look at things like this, like this is not really important. I didn't write this book, God did. 
And God says, if you can't trust, if a person can't trust what you say, don't expect to live in a close relationship with me. Is that what God says or not? It's exactly what he says. God is concerned about these things, and we ought to be concerned about them. You know, when we think about the things that I would think about naturally that would prevent a person from having a close relationship to God, they're not even listed here. I would think about people who are gamblers or people who are wife beaters or people who are husband beaters or people who are drunks or immoral. I would think those are the people that can't have, and you know what, those things we all all agree with. We automatically agree with that. Surely those people shouldn't expect to have a close walk with God, but what about people who, who... mistreat their neighbors what about people who backbite about others what about people who say they're going to do something and yet they don't do it and you say well that's not a big deal it may not be a big deal to you it may not be a big deal to me but according to the bible it's a big deal to god see we tend to overlook things like this you know pastor's been teaching through the beatitudes And one of those beatitudes is blessed in the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that doesn't just mean see God in heaven. That means God will be real. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They'll They'll be able to see God work. Similar thing is in Hebrews. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Young person, you know what we need? People get sort of dissatisfied with church or, or feel like church is not as meaningful to them sometimes and they, they start wondering, you know, but you know what's really missing? I don't think what's really missing is something that's tangible, is something that we can touch. It's not about the music. or the. What's really missing sometimes is we're just not closely fellowshipping with God like we ought to be. He's what it's all about. It's about Him. We need the Lord to be with us. Working with us, we need to be abiding in him. So we've looked at the question, who shall abide? Who shall be closely related to him? We've looked at the conditions. There are certain conditions that the Bible sets forth. And the third thing I want to think about, though, is making it practical. And that's the challenge. Now, some people may not even understand what we're talking about here. They may not even understand, you know, that I can have a relationship with God that's more than just going to church, just singing songs. But where God is working in my life, and I enjoy times of fellowship with Him, you know, but most of us understand that. But how do you make this, how do we make this practical? Because we, it, let me tell you, this is a great privilege that's ours. And a great opportunity to draw near to God. To have this abiding relationship. I want, I want to have a relationship with God where He is, produ- as we heard this morning, producing fruit through us. Through our lives. Not, just, not because we're making it happen, but just because he is, He's working in our life and He's working through our life. Or he's, he's working and showing Himself to be strong in, in, in and through our life. And we need him. If we don't have him, we're, we're out of business. We're out of business. You know, when Israel defeated 
conquered Jericho, and most of you are familiar with the story, then they went up to Ai and they were defeated. They were defeated because Achan had taken things that God said were holy and should not be taken. And uh, when Joshua sought the Lord about it, prayed about it, why, why are we defeated? You know what he, what he found out? He found out what it was like when you go out with an army for God, but God is not with you. That's what he found out. And in that conversation that God had with Joshua, he said this, neither will I be with you anymore. You can still be a nation. You can still have your rituals. You can still go through the ceremony, but I'm not going to be with you. That's a terrible thing to think about, isn't it? By the way, we need him. We need him in our homes and families. We need him in our personal lives. We need him as a church. We need him in our ministries. Because we can't do what we're supposed to do without him. And we shouldn't take this for granted. Let's, let's go to the New Testament one more time. And we're going to be in James chapter 4. And we'll spend the rest of our time there. James chapter 4. Because it's the same, you know, whether you're reading it in the New Testament or reading in the Old Testament, the message is the same on this subject. In James chapter 4, and we're going to look at some other verses, but just begin in verse 8. James writes, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. I mean, just, just put, think about this in a practical, logical way. If James says draw nigh to God, it means we can, we can live as Christians and not be as close to God as we should be. We, but we all can draw close to him. And if we draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. Isn't that brilliant? I mean, that's, that is so simple, so elementary, so foundational. But this is more than just being in church. Young person, this is more than that. It's having this close, intimate relationship with God. You, can, you know, people can... And I'm not minimizing any of these things, but a person can come to church, they can give, they can carry their Bible, they can sing in the choir, and still not be as close to God as they ought to be. And we can get by with that if we want to. But I would like to think we don't want to. We want something more than that for our lives. And I, I really wonder sometimes how many of our how many of our problems, even on a personal level, could be helped, maybe fixed permanently, but at least helped if we were just closer to God. That would be a big step, wouldn't it? Just to stay close to God. Now, James writes this, and he's addressing some problems. If you look in chapter 3 and look in verse 14 and, and 15, it says, James 3, um, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. I mean, he's talking to people who profess to be believers. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and ever evil work I mean he he's these people these people had some issues going on in their life there were there was strife that means there was there was self-will they were, they were not walking in the spirit 
And what, what causes that strife? Look in chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. I mean, that, he, James is really saying, here's the, here's the heart of your problem. It's this carnality, this, this selfish desires, insisting on having your way. Verse 4, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now you might wonder why I'm reading all these things, because all these things have to do with being close to God. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Verse 6, he says, God resisteth the proud. I mean, all these things, pride and selfishness. He says, you can even pray, you can even pray. But you may not get your prayers answered because you're just praying for your own selfish reasons. You know, people can, you know, you can get in a ditch on, on either side of the road. And a person could get on the ditch on one side of the road where we try to make every, all these things that God expects of us just rules and try to try to follow them in the energy of the flesh, or you get on the other side of the road that basically says you don't need any restrictions at all, we live under grace, do as you please, and neither one of them are right. Neither one of those are right. But what James says, what's right is we can be closer to God, but we can't do it if we tolerate these things in our life that are not pleasing to him. And you know what happens when all these things are going on? Look at verse 7. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Why would we have to resist the devil? Because I tell you, all this kind of stuff just plays into the hand of the devil. It opens the door up for the devil. We're living carnally and selfishly, pridefully, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. You know what that you know who's who's the master at example of what pride will do for you? It's Lucifer. It's Lucifer. You know, all James is telling us is really is how you can have a better relationship with God. How you can be closer to God. Have more fellowship with God. Have, have personal revival. Look what he says in verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's a simple statement, but I tell you it's so powerful. Just submit to God. You know what that means? Just yield your life completely to God. Give up your rights. Give up your, give up your ability to control your own life. Make your, just give it all to God. Isn't that simple? But if we don't do that, we're resisting what God wants to do. And so the invitation in verse 8 is draw nigh to God. Draw close to God. He wants us to draw near to Him. Doesn't that sound a lot like what David wrote? Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. We are, he wants us to draw near to him. Not just on special services, not just on Sunday, but in our daily life. You know, it's very easy. And I've, I've done this. I've experienced this. It's very easy to get, you know, we're Christians. We've been saved for a long time. It's very easy for us. We've, we've got, you know, pretty well got it down. You know, we're, we're, we're going to go through our day. We're going to 
We're going to have, we're going to live better than the world does. We're not going to listen to some of the music they listen to. And, but, but you can do all that and still not be saying, Lord, I just want to be close to you today. I want you to work in my life. I don't want to be focused on what's happening here and who's doing that and who's not doing that. I just want to be close to you. I want to have this abiding relationship with you. We ought to draw near to him with, with humble hearts, with tender hearts, with repentant hearts. Lord, we want to be close to you. We talked about this briefly, and we'll talk about it more in Sunday school this week, that David was a man after God's own heart. Does that describe you? I'd like to think it describes me. Does it describe me? I can't say for sure. I, but I want to have a heart for God. If we don't, we just we, we reduce the Christian life to a bunch of rules and regulations. And I'm not, for stand, I'm not against standards. I believe we ought to have biblical standards. But that's not what the main thing is. The main thing is that we have a close relationship with God. You could teach a robot what Bible to read and how to dress like a Christian ought to dress. But they, and I'm not opposed to those things. I'm just saying this. You can have that and not have a close relationship with God. But if we and I have a close relationship with God, He'll be able to work these things out in our life. Draw near to God. You know, there are a lot of things that I can't do. And there are a lot of things, whether you realize, realize or not, that you can't do. But you listen to me. Every one of you, young people, listen to me. There's something each one of you can do, each one, each one of us can do. And that is we can draw close to God. We can draw near to God. Other people around us may not care. They may not notice. But I want to be closer to him. Look what James writes. And we're going to wrap this up here in a moment. James Further, it writes in verse 8, Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Then he says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Doesn't that sound like what David said in Psalm 24? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart? Doesn't that sound a lot like that? It's the same message. It's the same passion. Cleanse your hands, draw, purify your hearts. Verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaven. It's to be mourn over our sin. Not just the consequences of sin, but the fact that sin is sin and it separates us from fellowship with God. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Verse 11, speak not evil one of another, brethren. Doesn't that sound like what we read in Psalm 15? I'm not going to keep going on with this but I'm just I just want to get this across tonight God wants us to live close to him you know I could I could try to press this matter home more but understand it's not me it's not the preacher that primarily wants you to live closer to God it's God that wants you to live closer to him and me, and me. You say, you know, hadn't you got this mastered yet? You've been doing this for a long time. No, I have not. But I just want to live close to him. We need him. You know, it was an amazing thing this week. We witnessed something that was, was really tragic and really eye-opening when this uh, professional football player 
went into cardiac arrest on a game, national televised game, and he died right there on the spot. His heart quit. It took a minute to give him back. You're, you're all familiar with this story? And you see, and then you see all these professional, these football players circling around on their knees, praying, begging God, and you know, one ESPN commentator made the news because he had prayer on the ESPN on the news. You know why? Because all of a sudden, people realize we need God. And you know what? We do need, they do need God. But we don't just need God, and I'm not minimum, we don't just need God when a man falls over. We need God every day. We need God every church service. We need God every week of our life. We, need, we don't just need Him positionally. We need Him in reality working in our lives. We need everything He has to offer. So the question to me is a legitimate question. And it's not just asked by David. It's asked throughout the scripture. Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Lord, who can be close to you? Now, if, if the Bible would have just left it at that, then we would, might wonder, well, I wonder what, what the answer is. But you know what? God didn't just give us the question. He gave us the answer. You know what the answer is? Those who cleanse their hands and purify their hearts, those who will make sure their words are appropriate, they won't be backbiting and they won't have strife and they won't have envy. The more we take care of business in our own life, the more God says we can walk close to him. And that's, that's what I want. And I hope that's what you want.